The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Wall Street trying to get back in the win column after a mostly lower session yesterday. Investors trying to brush off new recession-wary comments from the likes of Brian Moynihan and Jane Frazier. Now back to the friendly skies, United out with the latest results and a bullish outlook for the start of the new year. First, it was Amazon and Salesforce. Now another tech giant is preparing to cut costs and staff potentially as soon as today. Plus, Bitcoin holding on to gains. The digital asset is up more than 20% so far just this year. It's only been two and a half weeks. Why the calendar, the new year, could signal some bullish bets in that beaten up crypto sector. And then later on, why Twitter is auctioning off its iconic Bluebird headquarters sign and the current highest bid to beat. It's Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Chu and for Brian Sullivan today, let's kick off this hour with a check of U.S. equity futures after a mostly lower session yesterday that saw the Dow and the S&P end the day lower. The Nasdaq holding on to gains, extending its longest daily win streak since November of 2021. Futures right now are relatively calm but mixed. The Dow is implied lower by just a modest 19 points at this stage. The S&P up by just one and the Nasdaq up by three. So all told, very, very small moves right now in the pre-market trade. We'll see if that picks up as we head towards the opening bell. Investors this morning trying to brush off new recession-wary comments from CEOs. The latest coming from Bank of America's Brian Moynihan, also Citigroup's Jane Frazier, and United Scott Kirby echoing a PwC survey that says 73% of CEOs are predicting a global growth slowdown in this next year. The consumer spending across our customer base has slowed, which means that's good news and bad news. The consumers have money in their accounts. They spend it down a little bit. They still have a lot there. So my belief is a mild recession. I think everyone's converging now in the States more around a mild, manageable recessionary scenario um, driven by the strength that we've got in the labor markets. And as a result, together with um, persistence in inflation for services, you will see a resolute Fed. We're building into our forecast at least a slowing economy and probably a mild recession in our numbers. And we think that gets us to 10 to $12 a share this year, which is a pretty amazing place to be back to you know, where we were pre-pandemic, even in a weakening economy. All right. Even with all that recession talk, we've got oil prices that are higher today. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude prices, as you can see, back above the $80 mark, $81.45, up about a buck twenty-seven. That's a one and a half percent gain. One and a quarter percent gains for ice Brent crude futures. The world benchmark gauge up about a dollar four to eighty six dollars and ninety six cents. Now, the International Energy Agency out with its latest oil market report in the last hour. It says that global oil demand will hit a record this year 
with China accounting for roughly half of this year's demand growth. So again, those comments coming from the IEA, also bullishness around China, putting a bid to global oil prices. Now, around the world, the Bank of Japan continuing to defy the hawkish tone of other global central bank policymakers out with its latest monetary policy decision. J.P. Ong is out in Singapore with this morning's update on just what happened with the BOJ and why those bond buying programs are so big. J.P. Well, Dominic, this also was the culmination of days where we saw bond traders in Tokyo around the world really defying the odds and pricing and expectations that the Bank of Japan would have no choice but to widen or to attempt to at least move at least or change the yield curve control policy in a tightening measure. And that actually pushed the 10-year yields actually over the last couple of days above the policy ceiling of about half a percent. But... Today, as we know, the Bank of Japan left policy rates unchanged. They also left the yield curve control policy unchanged. And in a statement, Bank of Japan Governor Haruhiko Rota said that there was so much uncertainty in the economy that they have to keep monetary policy accommodative to support wage growth and to also make sure they can meet their price targets. And that had an effect on those 10-year yields we talked about. As soon as the announcement was made, we saw it scale back significantly to about 41.419%, actually, well below that half a percent of policy ceiling that they set. This also had a knock-on effect for the Japanese yen, which was strengthening leading up to the decision. And we saw the Japanese yen go, once again go back to losing ways, Dominic, um, weakening to just about uh, 129 and a half against the greenback. It's still trading around that particular handle as we speak and still looking soft as the day progresses. However, we also know that what's bad for what's weak for the yen is good for the Jap, for the Nikkei 225, which did strengthen by about two and a half percent at Wednesday's close. Dom? All right, JP, dollar strength, a weakening yen. We'll see what happens there in the coming days. Thank you very much. Let's get to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Dom, good morning to you all. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen meeting this morning with her China counterpart, Vice Premier Liu He in Switzerland. Now, Liu telling Yellen their two countries need, quote, serious communication and coordination when it comes to climate change and other macroeconomic issues, adding Beijing is ready for in-depth exchange with the U.S. This is Yellen's first in-person meeting with the vice premier. Apple is reportedly postponing the release of its highly anticipated AR glasses this year in favor of a less expensive mixed-reality headset. According to Bloomberg, the lightweight AR glasses are facing technical challenges forcing an indefinite delay. The lower-cost mixed-reality product should be ready by 2024 or 2025. And Microsoft is planning to announce more layoffs as soon as today. This week's cuts built on an earlier round last year that affected less than 1% of the company's total 200,000-person workforce. Microsoft's cuts adding to the pain in the tech sector following similar news from Amazon and Salesforce, Dom. Now, thank you very much for those headlines. Let's get out to Davos, Switzerland now, and the World Economic Forum, where our own Sarah Eisen is sitting down with a very, very special guest. Sarah. Good morning, Dom Chu from Davos, Switzerland. I'm here with Albert Borla. He's the CEO of Pfizer. It's good to see you. Good to see you, Sarah. We have a lot to talk about here. You know, here we are three, three years later in Davos from when we first started 2020, talking about the coronavirus popping up in China, and people are still trying to figure out where we go with COVID. What, what do you see as the path forward? I think as uh, we had predicted a year ago also, it looks like the virus is here to stay. It's very difficult to eradicate a virus, that it is all over the world, and that uh, when you are infected, 
three months later you can get reinfected again. Uh, so the virus will continue being with us, but I think we'll uh, move into a situation like flu. I don't think there will be any social distancing measures anymore. And I think people will be getting their boosters, although not at the numbers that they used to take the boosters in the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, the waves will be coming and we will live with it. And we're just going to get a booster every year. I think that's uh, what the most likely scenario. So China's going through a pretty acute wave right now. What, what, what is the status of getting Paxlovid, your treatment, to the Chinese citizens? Since December that uh, the Chinese authorities uh, expressed an interest for Paxlovid, we have sent uh, a few millions of uh, of treatments over there. That's and not they are this, uh, You are right, but we are sending as much as we have right now, and they are uh, immediately distributed. They are? Yes. And you're, and you're sending more. Do you have any sense of, of how many people are being infected and using this treatment? No, I do not. Because that's been a, bit, a sort of a question mark, the experiment there. Yes. And why are they buying Paxlovid and not your vaccines? Look, everybody has his own uh, healthcare priorities and uh, how they want to, to deal with the pandemic, and they have their own. Uh, apparently, they have their own vaccines. They rely on Chinese vaccines. Uh, and as far as I know, they didn't ask for Western vaccines, but they did ask for treatments from the West. So there's no discussion right now with you and, and the Chinese government about that? Not with us. Not, not currently at the moment. What about um, the status of the, the booster in the U.S.? There's been a CFTC and FDA investigation into safety, potential safety issues surrounding stroke for elderly people who have gotten the booster. What, what do you know about that? No, I think what CDC said was that uh, they saw a signal in one small database, and as a result, they triggered a very comprehensive review of all databases in existence, and they discovered nothing. So then, just, but just for transparency, we had seen a signal, we tested, we found nothing. The same is with us. Uh, we were alerted that they found that. We'll do it. our own investigation in all databases in Europe, Israel, and the U.S., and we found in none of them anything. None of them. So none are, are them. you continuing anything. to look into safety issues? People wonder if it makes me people more vulnerable to cardiac arrest. You've, arrest, you've, you've seen all the, you know, some conspiracies and some... You know, valid. Yeah. Irrelevant from conspiracy or not, we have a team that constantly does this. They are collaborating with major scientific institutions and they are doing with them and alone ourselves, digging into databases. And we constantly review and analyze data. We have seen not a single signal, although we have distributed billions of doses. When it comes to working on boosters every year, how, how do you know which strain you're targeting at this you point? You know, every time a strain comes up, we treat it like if it would be a suspicious strain, and we start working on it to see if we'll uh, uh, overcome the protection of the vaccine. Once we discover that there is a possibility, immediately we develop a kind of vaccine just in case the authorities will ask us to do it. It is not our job, uh, other than discussing with the authorities, but eventually it is CDC, it's FDA, it's EMA in Europe, and other authorities that, looking at the data, we'll see we want you to make a vaccine that looks like that. And then we will make it. And in order to avoid losing time, we start always for every single virus mm -hmm. to prepare doing that. So currently, what, are you working on the next? For, for example, currently we know that the one that is worrisome, it is the one that originated in the Easter Coast, New York, and is now spreading in the U.S. It is the B1.5. So in case that will become an issue, we are working on it. So in case that will become an issue, as I said, and authorities will ask us to do something about it, we will not lose time. 
What about pricing? What, what is it going to cost in 2023? It's, as you know, vaccines are completely free for all. Now, but in the U.S.? The U.S. is going to be completely free for all Americans. All Americans will receive it with zero copay because this is what... Uh, but what about charging the government? There, there are reports you're at 100 per dose. The price, 110 with 130, will be the least price. And it is the price that uh, will go when you go to commercial. And this is the low end of all the vaccines of this category. Wanted to also ask you about the RSV vaccine, because there was some news last night from Moderna. They, they released their data, very strong efficacy data. Is it apples to apples with the data that you have released around your candidate? I saw, the, I saw the announcement. Congratulations to Moderna. Good news because we need to have options for all these uh, nasty diseases like RSV. You can make the, the comparisons between clinical trials that they are not uh, directly, but they look at the efficacies on the same uh, range that we have announced. They announced 83, we announced 86. So it's more or less the same. Uh, I haven't seen the safety profile yet in detail. Well, I'm sure that they will uh, uh, f- uh, produce all this data pretty soon. What is the timeline for getting that approved? I don't know about them. Uh, for you, a, for you. Ah, for us, we submitted. So we are going to get it in uh, whenever FDA will provide us approval. We have priority review because we had a very strong data set and uh, the disease doesn't have any vaccine right now. And is it, what, what about for young children, babies who are especially vulnerable for RSV? Yeah, that's the, the big innovation here. We have uh, the first maternal vaccine. We are vaccinating the mother and uh, the mother is passing antibodies through the fetus. So when the baby is born, it's born already with antibodies and it is protected the first six months of its is, is it going to be like COVID where we could see yours and Moderna's vaccines get approved? Oh, yes. Like I'm, sure that, uh, I'm sure if Moderna's uh, data are like, I'm sure, first of all, you are never sure, but I be, expect that we will be approved. I expect GSK will be approved and I expect if the Moderna's data are the same, will it be approved. What is next in your, in your pipeline for vaccines? Now that oh, we are launching innovation. in the next uh, 18 months 19 products, 19 new products. I don't think ever a company was able to uh, manage 19 launches in 18 months. Uh, five of these 19 are vaccines. Uh, flu yeah. is one of them. The RSV we discussed. Uh, meningococcal uh, vaccine, pentavalent. And then after the next 18 months, so 24, 25, uh, we have uh, the singles disease. Uh, we have uh, combinations between COVID and flu, COVID, flu, RSV, all of that, that we are going to work. And, uh, of course, we have Lyme disease. Lyme disease, vaccine for Lyme disease, very big deal. Very big deal, especially oh, yes. in the Northeast. Oh, yes. So do you think Wall Street appreciates your story? There have been a few downgrades lately, questions about a COVID reset and, and where to unlock value next from this company. Yes, I think they hear, I think, what we told the people that how COVID situation will look like in this year. This year will be a transitional year. Transition means that we are going to move from uh, governmental business to commercial business. When this happens, uh, there are two things that need to, uh, to, to occur. One it is that the stocks need to be absorbed by the government bought. And uh, so a lot of the things that have been sold in 22 will be used in 23. The utilization of the vaccine in year 23, we expect will be the same like in 22. And will be the same like in 24. Which is what percent in the U.S.? In the U.S., I would say that we have approximately 100-something million boosters, doses, were uh, utilized in 22, approximately. And uh, we expect it will be more or less the same. And, of course, we will take a part. Moderna will take a part.
What about all the cash flow from from the vaccines and from your COVID business? Are you are you? We looking? are increasing our R and D, as you know. When I took over, the research budget of Pfizer was seven billion dollars. Uh, this year will be excess of twelve. In twenty two, I mean. What about deals? Excess. What about M and A? M and A are again focusing on buying science and projects uh, and products that they are top notch. We we focused on migraine with Nurtec, best in class, we think. Uh, uh, we went to sickle cell disease, the best-in-class product again. We went to ulcerative colitis, the best-in-class product. And we will continue doing that. You should see a lot of activity in uh, 2023. Biotech valuations have come down pretty significantly. They have come down, but uh, we are not looking for the cheap uh, things. We are looking for the good things. So yeah. for us, of course, you don't want to overpay. But the most important thing, it is to be certain that uh, the data are solid and that uh, this will be a breakthrough medical uh, solution. Uh, once you have that, you, can go, you cannot go wrong. Albert, thank you so much for the time. Thank uh, you very much, sir. No shortage of news to discuss with you. Albert Borla, CEO of Pfizer. Dom Chu, back over to you. All right, Sarah Eisen, you'll have much more from the World Economic Forum in Davos throughout the course of the day. Thank you very much, Albert Borla. Thank you very much as well. When we come back on the show, Wall Street's fear gauge is flashing a warning that stocks might be heading off a cliff soon. What Potomac's Mark Avalone has to say about that. Plus, crypto winter is a thawing out. Why a new year could mean new bullish bets in cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is already up, by the way, 26% so far this year. We're only two and a half weeks into 2023. And it could go even higher. And then later on, more ESG pushback from 21 state attorneys general. We've got the latest targets ahead. A very busy hour when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check now on how the trading day is shaping up. Futures right now are mixed, modestly higher, we'll call them right now. The Dow is implied higher by a whopping two to three points. Markets having a solid run so far, though, in 2023. But could that run be coming to an end? A number of strategists telling clients in recent notes that the VIX, the CBOE Volatility Index, falling to its lowest level in months could be a warning signal that the latest stock market rally may be winding down. Specifically, many say that they're worried the low level of VIX suggests investors may have become complacent about the risks to their portfolios, raising the possibility that they could be caught off guard in a way that could fuel a real pullback. Let's bring in now Mark Avalone, the president at Potomac Wealth Advisors. Mark, uh, it's your job to scrutinize things like complacency for your clients. 
Do you feel as though people have become too complacent? Well, good morning. And I'm not sure that's across the board, but certainly there's been some big money flows into some of last year's losers. And it almost feels like there's a rush to get ahead of the Fed. And that's what I think those comments are alluding to. And and that's what I agree with. I think people need to realize that the Fed has not taken their foot off the 2% target. You don't want to fight the Fed. The Fed is going to continue to raise or at least keep a tightening mode. And against that backdrop, speculation and over being overconfident about stocks is a potential risk for investors. All right. So, Mark, uh, this this volatility index, the VIX, it kind of tracks the level of volatility for the S&P 500. It's set, It's now sitting It closed yesterday below 20. It's 19 and change at this point. What that does represent is near the lowest levels over the course of the past year. Does that in any way make you feel uncomfortable about what's happening in the market right now? Well, it's interesting because in a bear market, when the VIX gets close to 20, it's actually been a sell signal. If you look at last year's charts, whenever we had confidence or complacency and the VIX lowering into this 20 range, it was a really good time to sell and take some of those interim profits from the bear market bounces. So it's really difficult to say this is this is the bottom and the VIX is right. Uh, but I don't think that's the case right now. I think we have a few more shakeouts to go. And until we get clarity, until we get a real drop in inflation, we're a mile away from that 2% number. And until we get language out of the Fed that isn't hawkish, they've all been hawkish. I think the the VIX is a contraindicator, and that's how I would look at it. All right. So if that's the case, take us through what your thinking is right now with regard to the outlook. Is this a time now where you raise money, you raise cash, you, you, you sit still? How is the bond market looking? We've got interest rates that are maybe relatively attractive to what they have been historically over, the, say, the last 10 years. What exactly is the strategy from your standpoint? Well, if your baseline is a continued Fed tightening and a modest recession, if any, which is our baseline, we still want to invest in, in stocks and we still want to invest in quality stocks, not that speculation stuff that we saw last year blow up. I know there's been a little run at it, but that's not where I'd want to be. And the bond side, as you mentioned, is very interesting. You can get some reasonably high quality uh, corporates. You can get the low, the, the higher end of um, high yield bonds, triple B, single A bonds. You can get a nice return on that. Maybe get some capital appreciation later in the year and get a little less risk than stocks and finally have some bonds in your portfolio that actually serve that classic role of diversification. So if you want a mid higher level single digit return with potentially lower volatility, bonds are again a conversation that investors could have. So we we believe in broader diversification and we think the 60-40 portfolio's death has been prematurely announced and we would be encouraging balanced long-term investors to look at some places in the bond market. Mark Avalone, looking for opportunities in stocks and bonds for 2023. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon, Mark. Thank you. Good to be Still on deck on the show here. Your big money movers and why shares of Smile Direct Club are popping in the pre-market. Worldwide Exchange is back after this commercial break. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. First up, you've got United Airlines telling investors it will top earnings estimates in 2023 due to strong travel demand and higher operating profit margins. The carrier expects to earn between $10 and $12 a share, well above consensus estimates for $6.64 a share. CEO Scott Kirby on Fast Money yesterday says the company has good insight for the rest of the year. Mostly it's a strong demand environment, uh, and we look at, out at it, and, you know, we have really good insight, uh, particularly for this quarter, what's going to happen. We have reasonably good insight, actually, for the second quarter and beyond. Um, and what we can see, you know, is, is really strong demand patterns, especially in the second half of the month. The, the first half of the, of the quarter is, is not quite as strong. That's mostly because, you know, this new travel patterns that come from hybrid work. All right. Those United shares, by the way, just up about 3% right now. Stock number two is Moderna. The biotech company says its RSV vaccine is 84% effective at preventing the respiratory disease in adults ages 60 and older. Moderna uses the same messenger RNA, mRNA technology for the RSV vaccine as it does for its COVID vaccine shots. Those shares, by the way, up about 6% pre-market. And then lastly, we mentioned it before, Smile Direct Club. Those shares are rallying after the company says it plans to cut costs and realign its workforce following a weaker-than-expected sales forecast. The company has not said if the realignment will include layoffs of its over 3,000 employees, but nonetheless, those shares are up about 4.5% pre-market. Still ahead on the show, Fair Leeds' Katie Stockton is here. Why she is sticking with her bearish bet for U.S. stocks in the near term. Stay right here. We'll be right back. Stocks looking to get back on track. The Dow and S&P snapping their four-day winning streaks as investors gear up for another round of earnings to provide some momentum. Crypto finding fresh legs in the new year. Bitcoin trading back above the $21,000 level as investors questions whether a bull run may be taking shape. And then new details emerging in the FTX bankruptcy as the failed crypto exchange throws cold water on hopes of customers being made whole. It's Wednesday, January 18th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's get right to how the day is shaping up. Futures are relatively calm, although they've drifted now into slightly negative territory. The Dow right now implied lower by just about 16 points. The S&P just about unchanged, and the Nasdaq implied lower by roughly six. So again, marginal losses, gains in the course over the, over the course of the past, say, half hour or so. Now, in the bond market, yields right now are still on the move, very much in focus, given what's happening with Japanese government bonds and the actions by the Bank of Japan. We'll talk about that a little later on. Ten-year Treasury note yields just about 3.49 percent. The two-year note yield just about 4.19 percent as well. And the 30-year long bond, 3.61 percent, as you can see there. Let's also hit oil prices. A bit of a bullish move here for oil prices on some China reopening optimism, fuel demand forecast, that sort of thing. 
U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude prices up about $1.39 to $81.57. That's a one and three quarters percent gain. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $87.09. That's up a buck 17 or roughly a one and a half percent gain. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories now. Silvana Hanau is back with those. Hi, Silvana. Hi, Dom. Well, Republican attorney, gen- attorneys general from 21 states are questioning a pair of corporate proxy advisors over their recommendations to clients on ESG initiatives. The AGs are looking to find out whether the voting recommendations by institutional shareholder services and Glass-Lewis on such issues as climate and boardroom diversity violated duties to their clients. The two companies are the latest financial groups to receive pressure from Republican state officials over sustainable investing initiatives. FTX is apparently facing a substantial shortfall of what it owes customers. New court documents revealing the collapsed crypto exchange has identified five and a half billion dollars of liquid assets. An additional four hundred and fifteen million dollars was hacked and stolen hours after the company filed for bankruptcy. The newly disclosed balances contrast with statements by FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried that U.S. customers could be made whole. And Digital Currency Group says it is suspending quarterly dividend payments. The crypto firm says it is making the move to preserve cash. DCG's vast crypto empire includes Genesis Global Capital, which is trying to avoid bankruptcy, Dom. All right, Silvana Hanau, thank you very much for those headlines. Let's stay on that cryptocurrency story. Bitcoin and Ethereum are off to a nice start in 2023, to say the least, with both of them posting gains of roughly 30%. Now, in fact... They're outperforming just about all traditional assets, the S&P 500, the Nasdaq 100, gold, bonds, and the dollar as well, by a pretty wide margin. So could this short-term bounce turn into a longer-term bull run for crypto? Let's bring in Clara Medali. She's the director of research at Kaiko, a crypto market data provider. Uh, Clara, you see all the numbers, you see all the data, you see kind of the transactions and the flows that are taking shape. What exactly is behind the Bitcoin and Ether surge to start 2023? Uh, That's a great question. I mean, selling pressure has been extremely strong ever since the FTX collapse. The FTX collapse has cast a very long shadow over the industry and specifically crypto prices. Um, But now we're seeing Bitcoin outperform the S&P 500 uh, many, many times. And so I really want to emphasize that the exact cause of this rally remain unclear beyond general seller exhaustion and overall positive inflation data. I think crypto has been very closely linked to what's going on at the macro level. And so Traders are searching for any sign right now of a bullish reversal. And we got that last week in the inflation data. So so the inflation data is one thing, Clara. But as you can see there, I mean, the inflation data is also driving other risk related assets as well. For cryptocurrencies, you mentioned seller exhaustion. It was months that crypto was floating between 15,000 and 17,000. We'll just say 16,000 roughly. It couldn't get out of that range. What exactly then triggered this? Why exactly was there? Was there any kind of a fundamental reason why buyers are out there again and sellers are, in your words, exhausted? 
Yeah. I mean, over the past year, what we saw when looking at the data is on the day of the Fed inflation data releases, we saw sharp upticks in crypto volatility. And I really think that at the macro level, that has been the strongest driver of crypto prices over the past year. And we saw that last week because, frankly, when we're looking at industry news, it has not been positive uh, throughout the start of 2023. There are many, many ongoing bankruptcies, which could in the future put downward pressure on crypto prices. So for now, we have to uh, attribute the latest rally to what's happening at the macro level. Okay, so the macro level is one thing, Clara. I mean, there's also this this perhaps school of thought or, or this this uh, theory, right, that many of those people who were long cryptocurrencies sold them last year, took some of the losses for the calendar tax year of last year, and have now kind of reset, if you will, some of their mm-hmm. return objectives. Is that something that you might think could play out or or is that just something that that crypto bulls are trying to latch onto to explain any kind of crypto bullishness out there? Yeah, that's certainly a possibility. I think one other thing I forgot to mention is what's going on in derivatives markets. So a lot of traders were positioned towards the short size, towards the short side. So when there was actually a quick rally last week that could have actually liquidated a lot of these short positions, which in turn would push up prices a bit further. So I think what we're, what may be happening is a bit of a combination between what's happening on these volatile derivatives markets where there tends to be a lot more leverage. And when there's a small uptick in activity on spot markets that can actually have have a cascading effect. So I think what you said is certainly one possibility, but we also have to look directly at what's happening in these derivatives markets. All right. Clara Medali with the bullish, uh, at least, moves in cryptocurrency. And by the way, we're going to talk to Katie Stockton later on in the show about why she sees a pullback possibly coming for cryptocurrency. So we'll have both sides of that trade, if you will. Coming up on the show, gauging the strength of the consumer, what to watch for in retail sales figures for the critical holiday shopping season. But first, as we head out to break, some of your top trending stories. Netflix is looking to hire a flight attendant for one of its private jets and offering a salary of up to, get this, $385,000. Responsibilities will include maintaining the stockroom and other flight attendant duties. That's a good job, perhaps. Meryl Streep is joining season three of the hit Hulu series Only Murders in the Building. The streaming series has begun production according to an Instagram video from show star Selena Gomez. Hey guys, we're on set. Hey. What are we shooting? Oh, hi there. Season three. The gang is back. Hello. Yay. Could this honestly get any better? Uh, uh, Oh, wait. Well, I do think it could get a little bit better. In what way? What do you mean? Steve, <laughs> you want to Yeah, oh, please. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Anything you need? Uh, just the tea that I had asked for a half an hour ago. I'm okay. Thank you, ma'am. You're mm-hmm. sweet. Cameos galore in that. And by the way, Twitter is auctioning off items including espresso machines and kegerators from its San Francisco headquarters facility as CEO Elon Musk looks to drastically cut costs, a neon sign displaying the company's corporate logo, the iconic Bluebird, is currently fetching a bid of over $17,000. Maybe it should be worth more or less. Who knows? Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Investors are gearing up for the latest look at the consumer and the impact of inflation. Retail sales figures for December are due out this morning, that figure dipping just over half a percent back in November, 
marking the biggest monthly decline in 2022 due to a pullback in holiday shopping, home projects and auto purchases as well. Now, key retail leaders, including the CEOs of Lowe's, Kroger, Macy's, amongst others, gathering at the annual National Retail Federation or NRF show in New York City this past weekend, where the outlook on the sector's year ahead was mixed. So let's bring in Katie Thomas, who is the lead at the Cardi and Consumer Institute. Uh, Katie, we turn to you often for all things consumer. Can you take us through what exactly the feel was thematically with regard to what the holiday shopping season will end up looking like and what it actually says about the strength of the U.S. consumer? Yeah, absolutely, Tom. Thanks for having me. You're right. At NRF, things were certainly mixed. There is a lot of talk about the return of the physical store and the importance of the physical store uh, across different sectors, across different types of retailers. But they did weigh in that they're really focusing back on fundamentals and attention to detail, really trying to stay true to the brand. I think we'll see December having been relatively strong. I'm a little bit more bullish than some of the estimates out there. Just given an increase in some of the procrastination shopping, we weren't giving consumers the supply chain warnings like we were last year. There were heavy discounts throughout the month. But as we go into 2023, we are seeing consumers really evaluate where to spend and where to save. All right. So where are they spending and and what are they saving for? I mean, we've heard a lot of CEOs in the financial sector go through their their accounts and customer data in aggregate that says they are spending less on things like goods, more on things like services. Is travel spending still going to be a thing? Are physical (laughs) stores going to be selling more apparel or are people going more towards durable goods? What exactly is developing in 2023? Yeah, you know, consumers really, where they're feeling the brunt of inflation is still in more those day-to-day goods. So we continue to hear it about gas and groceries in particular, right? You're hearing a lot about the price of eggs and things like that. One interesting sector to keep an eye on is restaurants, because that's a prime example of where consumers say they feel the brunt of inflation. They're feeling the price increases, but they're still wanting to go out to restaurants. We're still in that post-COVID moment of wanting to be out there and doing things. So they're really evaluating where to spend in the day-to-day, make sure they get the best bang for their bucks so they can spend at restaurants. Apparel is doing well, you know, strong discounts throughout the holiday season. We're seeing beauty do well. It's it's an affordable luxury, even in traditional recessionary times, people feel like they can spend on it, but they're also just enjoying having fun with makeup again. But yeah, some of the durables, more like the electronic sector, I think will continue to struggle as people continue. They really stocked up on that during the pandemic, may not feel like something they need right now. All right. And just really quickly before we let you go, Katie, what's your what's the biggest thing that you'll be looking for in 2023 with regard to retail spending? You know, this is another area where I'd say I'm still pretty bullish. Uh, I don't love the word trade off or trade down. I think consumers are really just they're very thoughtful. They have a lot of information at their fingertips. And I think the consumer is in the driver's seat right now. So they're going to go online. They're going to price shop. They're going to price compare. And in particular, I think my watch out is some of the brands that are in what we call the mushy middle. So brands that aren't luxury brands that are doing well, aren't the more discount or value perception brands that are really struggling to figure out maybe their reason for being or who they are and how they want to engage with consumers. And so it's sort of those in-betweens that I think um, are are going to be the most indicative of the strength of the consumer. All right. Katie Thomas over at Carney. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. Coming back on the show, we'll have Katie Stockton to lay out why she's so still bearish on the markets. Keep it right here. We'll be right back after this. 
All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 a.m. Eastern time hour. Microsoft planning to announce layoffs as early as this morning. The tech giant previously cutting less than 1% of its 200,000-person workforce back in July. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen meeting with China's vice premier in Zurich this morning. This marks the pair's first in-person meeting. Liu He says Beijing is, quote, ready for in-depth exchange with the U.S. on several macroeconomic issues. United Airlines forecasting an earnings beat in 2023 as it expects to benefit from strong travel demand and higher operating margins. The airline predicting it will earn between 10 and 12 bucks per share, well above Wall Street consensus of $6 and change per share. Shares are higher ahead of the opening bell. Apple delaying the release of its highly anticipated augmented reality or AR glasses in favor of a cheaper mixed reality headset. Bloomberg reporting that the AR glasses are facing technical challenges and will be delayed indefinitely. Shares of Smile Direct Club are rallying after the company said it plans to cut costs and realign its workforce after sales forecasts came up short of expectations. And Carvana adopting a so-called poison pill defense strategy to limit shareholders from raising their stakes and safeguarding its quote-unquote significant federal net operating loss. The used car retailer also says it's reached an agreement to sell up to $4 billion worth of auto-related loans. Well, investors this morning are trying to brush off new recession-wary CEO comments. The latest, Bank of America's Brian Moynihan, City's Jane Frazier, and United Scott Kirby echoing a PwC survey that says 73% of CEOs are predicting a global growth slowdown in the coming year. The consumer spending across our customer base has slowed, which means that's good news and bad news. The consumers have money in their accounts. They spend it down a little bit. They still have a lot there. So my belief is a mild recession. I think everyone's converging now in the States more around a mild, manageable recessionary scenario um, driven by the strength that we've got in the labor markets. And as a result, together with um, persistence in inflation for services, you will see a resolute Fed. We're building into our forecast at least a slowing economy and probably a mild recession in our numbers. And we think that gets us to 10 to $12 a share this year, which is a pretty amazing place to be back to you know, where we were pre-pandemic, even in a weakening economy. All right, not the most optimistic of tones here. Joining me now is Fairlead Strategies founder and managing partner Katie Stockton. She's also a CNBC contributor. Katie, you heard the comments. I would dare to say that a mild recession is the base case and pretty much consensus among C-suite America, that almost to me sounds bullish. So why are people still so negative? Well, you know, the market is, of course, forward looking, and yet we've never seen the market bottom before a recession. Uh, So we have that stat to contend with here. And I think there's a lot of hope that the relief rally that we've already seen is the start of something more significant. And indeed, it could be one step towards a bottoming process. But the emphasis would be on process, just knowing that bear market cycles don't tend to end in sort of a V-bottom fashion. We usually need to see some more prolonged support discovery, and we certainly have not had that yet. I think, uh, you know, we have a situation where sentiment is somewhat complacent. You can see that, of course, in the VIX. And we also have overbought reading now as, uh, after what we've seen already from the market. So the market is certainly challenged here. Are there specific levels, Katie? I mean, you look at the charts, you use that chart history as a basis for kind of looking at how things might shape up in the future. 
Is there any indication in your mind about just how deep a pullback could go? Areas of support, so to speak, that you're looking for? Right. So the S&P 500 is right up into some resistance on the chart. This is a potential area of selling pressure of roughly 4,000. You can see that the 200-day moving average has acted as resistance in this past bear market. So we have it basically in play at this time, roughly 4,000. There's also another model that we track, the cloud model, that's roughly in line as well. So there is resistance in line. And even beyond that, of course, it's hardly in the clear Below current levels, there are support levels that have relevance. The first one is 3,800 in our opinion. It's a short-term, somewhat minor level. If it is taken out, then we're looking back to the October lows, which also happened to mark about a 50% retracement of the uptrend that began off of the COVID corrective low. That's roughly 3,500. We are looking in our work for a retest of that 3,500 level and a potential downdraft even to the 3,200 sort of secondary major support level based on a Fibonacci retracement. And we say that because long-term momentum is still to the downside, and it's pretty rare to see breath do what it has done. I know a lot of folks are out there calling it a breath thrust and citing it as something that's bullish. We're actually a bit more contrarian in the way we view what's happened in terms of market breath. There's an indicator called the McClellan Oscillator that we track, and it's quite overbought. In fact, it's at levels that have been associated with short-term peaks uh, with a lead time of about one to two weeks for the S&P 500. All right. So you're seeing a pullback in the broader stock market overall. You haven't really changed your bearish tilt that way. I wonder, earlier in the show, we talked about the bullish moves in cryptocurrencies. Any indication from the charts there in your mind about whether the rally in Ethereum and Bitcoin can continue? Well, we saw a 14-day rally from Bitcoin was just outstanding in terms of the magnitude as well. And it did take out a short-term resistance level and cleared the 200-day moving average. So it certainly has our attention. And we do have upside momentum, short and intermediate term. But even just with the last day and a half or so of the pullback that we've seen, we see that as a reaction now to short-term overbought conditions that, as you can tell, we think will affect risk assets more broadly. So we want to see how far Bitcoin and others retrace. Uh, We suspect that they may see a full retracement of this sort of 14-day up move, and that it will look a bit like a blip on the chart. We say that again because that long-term momentum is still to the downside, and it feels like it's a bit speculative. There's, with that, the low rating in the volatility index, or VIX, which shows some complacency in the markets. We also have the meme stock showing, getting some interest. All of that taken together gives us some pause in chasing any rallies here. All right. Katie Stockton at Fairlead Strategies. Thank you very much. Always great to get your thoughts. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Tom. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now are marginally mixed. Right now, the Dow's implier by 17 points to the upside. The S&P by five. The Nasdaq up by 19. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next from the World Economic Forum in Davos. We will see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.